The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Good morning, everyone. And open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we're going to speak this morning a little bit about a man I, I really enjoy reading about and whose life I enjoy studying, and, and I enjoy preaching about him and all these things, and uh, that is David. We're going to talk about David this morning. And uh, let's look together at 1 Samuel chapter 17. And I'll begin reading at verse number 22, and if you would just read along with me silently. 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning at verse 22. We read here, And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage, and ran into the army, and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there, came, there come up the champion, uh, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches, and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel? And we'll talk a little bit about that question in just a few moments. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down that, the, that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? And let's pray. Father, thank you for the life of David that we have today that we can look into and study and, and learn from. And I just pray that you would help each of us today to, to uh, have the attributes in our life that would cause us to be a success for you. Bless our time now as we look into your word. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've been, for the last several lessons, looking into the building blocks of a successful Christian life. And trying to learn what things uh, make us successful in our endeavor to serve the Lord. And we've seen so far that it takes, uh, we've looked at three things. First, we looked at Noah, and we, we looked at the fact that Noah was a man of obedience. And, and the Bible tells us that thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. So Noah was a man who was diligent at obeying the commands of the Lord and and we looked at that and we saw how important obedience to God is and, and how difficult it can be at times. 
But certainly, if we are going to be a success in our Christian life, we are going to have to learn to be people who are obedient. Not taking God's word and changing it to fit our lives, but changing our lives to fit the word of God. And we saw that in the life of Noah. We also looked at and and saw uh, faith, that it takes great faith to, to, to be a success. And we saw this in the life of Abraham. And there were many lessons, many examples we could have looked at in the scripture to, to see the faith of Abraham, but I think nothing, no, no, let, no passage of scripture illustrates the faith of Abraham more than when he obeyed the Lord in his sacrifice of Isaac on Mount Moriah. And certainly there we saw the great faith of Abraham, even though God commanded him to, to kill his only son, uh, Abraham had faith that God would work things out, and, and, and thus we see Romans 8.28 in action. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose. How often in life we confound the grace of God, and, and, I, and I say that figuratively, not, not, uh, not uh, literally, but how often do we confound, not, maybe not the grace of God, but God's purpose for us, how often do we com- confound God's purpose for us by our own lack of faith, by interjecting our own thoughts and our own wills into things that we should just stand back and, and have faith and trust the Lord for. So we saw that. And then last, last uh, two weeks ago when we, when we met together, we looked at uh, Daniel. And we saw in Daniel a life of purpose. And Daniel, from a, from, a, from a young man, had been taken from his home and had been taken away captive into a foreign land, into a foreign king's home. And, but Daniel purposed in his heart. He, he, he had a commitment. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. He was not going to allow his circumstances. He was not going to allow his circumstances to dictate his actions. He was going to live by his principles. And he was going to stand on his principles regardless of the cost. And we, we saw in that lesson that Daniel's commitment uh, influenced other people as well, didn't it? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were put in a position to have to also make such a decision, I'm sure they thought back about Daniel and how Daniel uh, stood his ground and how God honored that. And, and they did the same. And, and we saw those things. And and uh, we, we talked about the fact that we may not always end up on what we would consider to be the positive side, but we can never go wrong by living by principles. Regardless of what it costs us, regardless of what happens to us, we have to learn to live by our principles, by the principles of the word of God. So we saw those things and we looked at all those things. Now this morning, I'd like to continue our study with a look at another Bible figure that would be considered successful in his life for God, and that is David. And David, in David, we see a man of courage. A man of courage. We read just a moment ago. If you still have your Bible open, you can look at verse First uh, Samuel chapter seventeen, and let's look at verse number thirty-two of chapter seventeen. We see, see here in verse thirty-two, and David said to Saul. Let no man's heart fail because of him. Now the him there is Goliath, of course. Uh, He says, thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. 
David was a young man with great courage. Now, we all know this story very well, I'm sure. Anybody here not know the story of David and Goliath? Uh, we know the story well. Goliath was the champion of Gath. He was a Philistine. He stood nine feet, approximately nine feet, nine inches tall. That's pretty tall. Uh, I'm six foot. So he was, he was half again my, one of me. And he was pretty tall. His helmet, matter of fact, uh, Goliath's helmet weighed 27 pounds. He had, a, he had an armor that he wore that weighed in at about 75 pounds. His, the shaft of his spear, was the Bible says, was the size of a weaver's beam. And, and I looked at that up once. And that's approximately seven foot long and about four inches in diameter. It's like, it's like a, a fence post. That was, his, that was his spear shaft. And the head of his spear... Weighed about, weighed about approximately the, it, it was about the same weight as a bowling ball. You ever go pick up a 12 pound bowling ball? That was about the weight of the, the head of his spear. <clears throat> his shield, the Bible says, was so large that it, a, a man actually stood in front of him in battle walking, carrying his shield. And uh, this was the man that David faced, Goliath. We know the story. We know how formidable uh, a foe he was. Uh, so I don't have to take a lot of time this morning to discuss <clears throat> the plot or to discuss all the details of this. But what I do want to discuss is why David was the only man in all of Israel. Why was he the only man with enough? And he wasn't even a man. He was a boy. Why was he the only one with enough courage to face Goliath? We read just a moment ago that when Goliath came out to Daily, when Goliath came out to give his challenge, what did all the men of Israel do? They ran and hid in their tents or they hid behind a rock or they went and hid. They ran away. They fled from the face of Goliath. They were afraid of him. And, and, and so they ran. Uh, I mean, out of the entire nation, only David, who the Bible describes as a youth, who the Bible says was ruddy. And if you look that up, it means... It means a little, a little rosy cheek boy. That's what David was. He, he had little rosy cheeks. He was ruddy. He had a, he had a, 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 a beautiful countenance. And, and, and he was just a youth. Uh, he had enough courage to challenge Goliath, to stand before him and to fight him down. Now, I've, I've taken a lot of time over this. I've used this subject matter many times to, to teach to our teenagers and to encourage them to, 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 to stand up and face those giants that they would face in their life. So I, I've done a lot of study into this, and I've discovered three catalysts for David's courage, three things that, that really uh, identify and, and, and uh, uh, categorize for us why David was a man of such courage. Now, what is courage? Think about it for a moment. Anybody, anybody can define courage for me? Any, any ideas? Right? Face something when you're afraid? Any other ideas? What courage is? Courage is basically defined in this way. It's having the strength of character to go forward when the outcome of that event is uncertain. 
it doesn't take courage if, if we, it doesn't take courage to, to, to attack a man like Goliath if you're in a tank, right? Or if you have a gun, a shotgun, you could go after a guy like Goliath, you chop him down real fast. Uh, but courage is facing adversity with no certainty of the outcome. In other words, you may die. It, it took courage when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood before the king and said, we're not, we're not careful to answer you. In other words, we're not afraid to answer you. You may throw us in that furnace, but here's the deal. We're not going to bow down to your, to your idol. It, it, it takes courage. To, it, take, it took courage for Daniel to, to, to kneel in his window as he did so many times and, and pray to God, even though he knew the consequences for that would be cast into the, into the den of, of lions. There was no certainty for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that they were going to come out of that alive. There was no certainty for Daniel that, they were going, that he was going to come out of that alive. And there was no certainty for David that he would defeat Goliath, but he was prepared to, to face those consequences. And that takes courage. And that's what we need in our lives today in America. You know, to live for Christ today takes courage. It's a lot easier to just give in and follow the world, right? It's a lot easier to just step back and say, hey, you know what? We can follow the prosperity group, the prosperity Christians who, 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 who have it so much easier than us because they don't have to follow all these principles that we do. But it takes courage to, to stand and, and to do the things that are right to do when we're not even certain for sure what the outcomes will be. But there are three catalysts I want to discuss with you. Number one is this. David was taught of God's power. Now, David wasn't born knowing all about God's power. He had to be taught. You know, so often, I worked with teenagers for so many years. And so often, parents would come to me and they'd, they'd sit in my office and they'd say, I just, don't, I just don't know what to do. I just can't seem to get my, my teenage son or my, or my teenage daughter to live for the Lord. I don't know what to do. And you know what I, I always tell them? Uh, you lead by what? Example. You lead by example. Listen, if you want your children to be in Sunday school, then you need to be in Sunday school. If you want your children to be in church every week, then you need to be in church every week. They need to know. They need to know that church is more important than football games. It's more important than vacation. It's more important than anything else in our life. Church is the most important thing. And your children have to understand that. And you have to lead the way by your example. You have to show them. Now, that, that doesn't always mean they're going to follow. The old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't force them to drink. huh? But the Bible tells us if we raise up our children in the way they should go, that when they're old, they will not depart from that. And, and it may be many years into their adult life before you finally see all of that come to fruition. But if we are faithful to lead, they will follow. I mean, if Kevin Costner could build a baseball field in the middle of a cornfield and they would come, don't you think that if we build our life for God that our children will follow? I believe they will. So David was taught of God's power. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, we read, "...only take heed to thyself." And keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons, 
especially the day that thou stoodest before the Lord, thy God in Horeb, when the Lord said unto me, Gather me the people together, and I will make them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they shall live upon the earth, and that they may teach their children. So this is the principle of teaching. We have to teach. We have to teach our children of the great power of God. You know, there was, the Bible says there arose an, another generation that knew not who. Huh? There, there arose another generation that knew not God. Because, why did they know not God, by the way? Can anyone tell me? They weren't taught. Their fathers stopped teaching them about God. Their fathers stopped teaching them about the parting of the Red Sea. Their fathers stopped teaching them about the manna that rained from heaven. Their fathers stopped teaching them. So often in America today, people send their children to church. They don't take them to church. They send them to church. And then their children come home from church and don't turn out the way they think they should have. And who do they blame? They blame the church. They blame the preacher. They blame the Sunday school teacher. But do you know what? It's not the pastor's job to, 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 to teach your children. Did you know that? That's not his job. That's your job, Dad. That's your job. You can't pass it off to anyone else. It's your job to teach your children. And Jesse, David's father, was a just man, and he would have taught his sons of the mighty power of God. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, and verse 1, we read, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. Why do you think that God uh, chose Jesse's sons? Because Jesse was a just man, and he, he was a man who taught his children the principles of God's word. And that's our responsibility. Uh, the Lord stated, for I have provided. You see, God had already chosen David to be king. Now, the people didn't choose David, did they? Who did the people choose? Saul. And how did they gauge that they wanted Saul? Can anyone tell me? The Bible tells us. By his, by his looks, by his stature, by his countenance. Oh, look, he's, t- he's the tallest man in Israel. He must... Be God's choice. Let's make him king. Matter of fact, Samuel made the same mistake when he got to Jesse's house. And Jesse's son started coming through. He took a look at him and he said, oh, this must be the one. And God said, no, it's not that one. And he went through all of Jesse's sons. And finally he asked Jesse, he said, do you have any more sons? And Jesse said, yeah, I got one more. He's out in the field watching the sheep. Well, bring him in, Samuel said. Bring him in because we're not going to sit down and eat until we see him. And I'm ahead of myself because we're going to read that in just a moment. The Lord stated, I have provided me a king. God chose David to be king. And it was not because of his great stature. In verse 12 of 1 Samuel 16, and he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. In other words, he was a cutie boy. All the, all the teenage girls would have swoo over David. He was, he was a looker. Oh, he was a looker. He was cute as a button. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Was it because he was wealthy? Well, I don't think so, because 1 Samuel 16, 11, we read, And Samuel said unto Jesse, 
are here all thy children? And he was, he was there, and he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And in verse Samuel chapter 17 and verse 25, we read, And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that has come up? Surely to defile Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Now, if David was wealthy, none of that would have been attractive to him. If David was wealthy, he would have stood there and said, well, I don't need any more money. I don't need you to free my home because we are free people. That wasn't the case. David was not of great stature. He was, he was a youth. He was small. He was ruddy. And, and he wasn't wealthy. He was, a, he was a shepherd. And shepherds were some of the poorest paid people in Israel. So why did God choose David? Well, to attempt to answer this question would be to claim to know the mind of God. I, I don't know why God chose David. I don't know why God chose me. I have no idea. I wouldn't have chosen me. I, mean, I can tell you that right now. If I, if I looked out amongst mankind, I wouldn't have looked at me and said, okay, I'm, gonna, he's, I'm choosing him. I'm going to save him. I wouldn't have done that. I know me. I wouldn't have saved me. But God did, and I don't know why. I'm just grateful he did, amen? But there is one scripture that I can point to that might give us some light. And that is 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 14. Let's look at that if you have your Bible still open. Go to chapter 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13. Let's, let's look at verse 14. And I think we will see here uh, one of the things about David that was appealing to God. Verse 14. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord here is speaking to Saul. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. Uh, or should I say Samuel is speaking to Saul. The Lord has sought him a man, see those next words, after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people. And here we see David was a man after God's own heart. Now what does that mean? What does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? Well, think about, think about this, you men and women who, who are married. Think about, about this. When you were dating your future spouse... Huh? Think back to those times. You would, you, would, you would try to figure out what they like, wouldn't you? I mean, my wife, for instance. I knew, that, I, I knew that she liked yellow carnations. That was her favorite flower. So every chance I got, I'd buy her yellow carnations. I learned quickly her favorite restaurant was Red Lobster. Just so happened to be mine, too. But we, we made a lot of trips to Red Lobster and, and I knew that she likes, I, I know today she likes white diamonds perfume and those kind of things. And those are things that I, I, I concentrate on. I give her as often as I can afford to. Why? Because I want to win her heart. Huh? I want to capture her heart. I want her to think well of me and I want her to love me. And I want her to, 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 be, to be impassioned to me. And that's how David was. David was a man who was after the heart of God. David wasn't just content to know God. David wanted to know of God. He wanted to know all about God. And he wanted those things to be a part of his life. He labored to fulfill the will of God in his personal life. And today, you and I must not only be taught of God's great power, 
but we must also teach others of the great power of God. And you know, one of the greatest ways we can teach others of, the, the, of God's great power in our life is by living our lives in the power of God. Amen? By having a life of faith. By not putting our trust in, in my, my own hands or what I'm capable of doing. But by putting my trust and my faith in the Lord, by seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and God will add to me the things that God wants me to have. And then I must learn to be content with such things as God has given me. Be content with the house we have. Be content with the car we drive. Be content with the job we have. Give it, give it everything we got. Live our lives under the glory of the Father. Invest our lives in, in, in serving God. That's how David lived his life. And it was because of that that God said he was a man after his own heart. God loved David. He loved him dearly. And, and these are the reasons why. Now, secondly, the, the thing that, the, the thing that I, I see in the life of David is this. Number two, David tested God's power. He was not only taught of God's great power, <clears throat> but David tested that power. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, we read, beginning at verse 34, And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. Now look, this also teaches me David must have been pretty poor because he couldn't afford to lose one sheep. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If I'm tending my father's sheep and a bear comes out and grabs one, I'm going to say, bye-bye, lamb. <laughs> right? Especially when I'm a shepherd boy. Well, the only thing I have is a stone and a staff. And a lion comes out and roars. And I'm not going to roar back and fight, stand between him and that sheep with my stick and fight him. I'm going to say, oh, well, let's see. I can just tell dad one, one fell. Huh? But not David. You know why? Because David believed in God's power. He had been taught of God's great power. And he was not afraid to put it to the test. When the moment came that he had to have the power of God, he had what it took to put that power to the test. Uh, one of the necessary components of courage, by the way, is confidence. That's, a, that's the next blank on your study sheet. It takes confidence to have courage. But how do we gain confidence? Well, Solomon tells us in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 25 and 26, Be not afraid of sudden fear, neither of the desolation of the wicked when it cometh. For the Lord shall be thy confidence, and shall keep thy foot from being taken. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 26, In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. David had confidence... He had confidence that God would protect him in his pursuit of doing those things that God wills that he, that he would do. He was serving his father Jesse by, by tending to the sheep. And, and, and David had the confidence to believe that God would, would, would give him the power to defeat that lion. That God would give him the power to defeat that bear. 
And that's why he was able to stand up against Goliath, because he believed in his heart. He had confidence in his heart that God could give him the power to do so. I didn't say David stood there with with arrogance and, and, and proclaimed certainly that he would do it. But he had confidence in God's power and he believed that he could he could he could go and face Goliath in the power of God. Now, confidence comes by experience. We're not going to gain confidence without experience. Psalm 34 and verse eight. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. I said, confidence comes by experience. My brother DeWitt over there, he knows a lot about cars. And I could bring my broken down car to him and he could stand there and say, yeah, I can fix this. Right? Why? Because he has experience. And experience gives him confidence. He wouldn't stand there and say, oh, I don't know. I never I never changed a water pump before. I'm not sure if I can. He can probably change a water pump in his sleep. Although with these new cars, you better not fall asleep too long because you never know where the water pump's located anymore. I go to these new cars, I open the hood, and I go, hmm, and I close it because I don't recognize anything under there anymore. But confidence comes by experience. You see, David had the confidence to face Goliath because he, he faced the bear. Hmm? He fought a lion and he slew them. He killed them. With his bare hands he did it. So he has, he has experience in, in, in dealing with God's power. Let me ask you a question real fast. How many times in your life have you proven the power of God? Huh? I see it all the time. Christians lose their job and their whole, spirit, their whole Christian life falls all apart. They, they drop out of church. They, 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 they quit honoring God. Huh? People get ill. Now a family member gets ill and they turn on God. You see, we don't have the without the experience you have no confidence. But experience, thirdly, experience comes by doing. You're not going to have experience unless you get out there and do something. You have to put put it to the test. Malachi three ten. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. That there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. See, experience comes from doing. And, and we have to be, the Bible tells us what in James chapter 1 and verse 22, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. David used this principle when facing Goliath. In, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, if you're still there, look at verse 38. And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also he armed him with a coat of mail, and David girded his sword upon his armor, and he assayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. In other words, David says, listen, king, I, I've never tested this armor. I've never tested your sword. I, I, I don't know. I have no confidence in these things because I've, I've never proved them. Do you see that? David used the principle of, 
that we talked about. Confidence, having confidence, which comes by experience, which comes from doing. David lived his life in the power of God. And David used the power of God in the times of his life when he needed to. And David had confidence. He had trust in the power of God, but he had no trust in the arm of man. He had no confidence in the arm of man. He told the king, I can't, I can't use it. I mean, the king obviously would have had the finest armor in Israel, wouldn't he? His sword would have been the sharpest blade. It would have been made of the finest metals. But David, David threw them all down on the ground and said, no, I don't, I don't need these things. He had no confidence in Saul's sword and armor. But look at verse number 40. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a scrip. And his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. What was what what did he have confidence in? He had confidence in God. When he killed that bear, when he killed that lion, all he had was his sling and his staff. That's all he had. And that's all he needed. Right? You know, it's a wonderful thing when we get to the point in our lives when, when we come to the point where God is all we have. Because that's when we learn that's all we need. We don't need anything but God. I don't need to have a big fat bank account. All I need to have is the power of God in my life. That's it. I've heard some preachers say, well, David grabbed five stones because Saul had four brothers. Maybe so, but I don't read that in scripture. I just think David grabbed five stones because if he missed with one, he wanted another stone. David filled his bag with stones and he took his sling and he took his staff and he said, all right, let's go. I mean, here's the finest armor in the land, the best sword, the best shield and the best helmet lying on the ground. David's got his staff. He's got his sling, he's got five stones in his bag, and he says, let's go, I'm ready. David tested God's power. He went with what he had in confidence because he had experience with them, because he'd already won with them. But how many times do I see Christians over and over and over again in their life leaning on other things, leaning on things other than God? For their needs, for their, for their well-being. God is all we need, folks. His will is perfect for us. If it's God's will that, that we succeed, then we'll succeed. If it's his will that we die, then we'll die. And we need to just learn to have confidence in God. And then thirdly and lastly, David trusted God's power. 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning at verse 45. Then said David to the Philistines, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. You know, everybody jumped on, German, uh, on Richard Sherman's back because of what he said in, in the NFC Championship. But look at David. 
Look at David trash-talking to Goliath. He stood there and he told Goliath, I'm going to cut your head off. And I'm going to feed your carcass to the birds. And this day, everybody here is going to know that there's a God. Why did David, what, what prompted David to say those things? Because he trusted God. That's why. He had confidence in God. He trusted God. Now, at this point in his life, David is able to go forth into this battle with courage because of his trust. And the same can be true for us in America today. We do not have to march to the beat of the world's drums. We do not have to step quietly aside in the face of the world's challenges. We can, with confidence, step forward as David did. We can, with boldness, step forward and face the challenges before us. We can say no to homosexual marriages. We can say no to abortion. We can say no to taking God's word out of our schools. We can say no to banning prayer from public meetings. We can face these giants without fear and without reservation. And why is that? Because John, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, we read, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We have confidence today. We can have courage today. David was a man of courage. It, it, it takes courage to succeed as a Christian today. We're not going to do it without courage. And in order to have courage, we need to have confidence. And confidence comes from experience. And experience comes from doing. Folks, it's, we need to teach our children these principles. We need to trust the Lord and we need to test God and his power in our lives so that we can have that confidence. All right, folks, I need to stop. It's 10 till. Thanks for being here today, and you are dismissed. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.